Acts chapter 2, once you've found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 2, and we'll be in the first six verses uh, right now. Let the, the Bible says, beginning in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now that's quite a sight. Imagine being in an upper room with 120 other people, and all of a sudden a cloven tongue of fire just appears above everyone's head. That'd be, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I think maybe the hair on the back of your neck would maybe stand up a little bit. You'd wonder, what is going on? Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language." And so tonight we'll address this topic, the doctrine of speaking in tongues. The doctrine of speaking in tongues. Let's pray. Lord, give us clarity of mind tonight and a unified heart, a unified spirit. Lord, give all of us a spirit of wanting to understand. Lord, may we set aside any preconceived ideas we have coming into a message like this. And Lord, have an open heart, uh, Lord, to understanding the Bible. Lord, help there to be a spirit of kindness that flows uh, from me and is, uh, fills the room and is felt by everyone in the room. And Lord, we ask that uh, you, you do a great work in our spirit, in our church tonight. Lord, we want to be on the same page doctrinally, and we want to be on the same page with our direction. And so help us with that this evening, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to take the message this evening and explain clearly uh, the position, or rather the purpose of tongues in the Bible, speaking in tongues in the Bible. There are many modern-day churches that have taken this whole concept of speaking in tongues, and in my strong opinion, I think we'll see from Scripture, they have misinterpreted what the Bible teaches altogether. One uh, small concern that some members, uh, that I have uh, with some members of White Oak Baptist Church would be that uh, they would become confused by other churches and teachings maybe that they have from past churches and that that would be an entry point for Satan to snare some and pull them away. We've had two, three, four families over the last few years come in and be part of us for a short time and um, have not been able to get to a point of agreement on this area of tongue speaking and a couple of other areas. And they've come and they have... Uh, been kind while they were here, and they left kindly, but they left over a disagreement on this topic, and they just uh, weren't able to see it um, the way our church teaches it, and I, I believe the way the Bible teaches it, and I would hate to see that happen to one of you, where uh, you, you get uh, caught up with someone else, and uh, it's, it's taught and explained in a way to you that would confuse you and take you off point, and so I hope tonight... Uh, to settle any issues with that. I, I don't want you to take my word on this topic. Let's study the Bible very closely together, and let's see 
what God has to say. Uh, I hope you will take notes this evening. Everyone, uh, I hope, received a handout with the um, uh, outline there. Does anyone need one this evening? All right, we have a couple that need, uh, Brother Okai, Miss Angela over here, um, Miss Gabby. If you need an outline, just continue to hold your hand up and we'll make sure you get one there. Uh, very good. And we want you to be able to take uh, good notes here this evening and, and follow along with, with the information we're covering. Before we really, really get into the sermon, I would like for uh, all of us to take a look at one more passage together. And really, you're going to need a hold or put a bookmark both here and in 1 Corinthians 14. So turn over to 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. And by the way, tonight I don't have uh, the time uh, for us to really study out 1 Corinthians 14. We're not going through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. We're going through Acts verse by verse. But uh, 1 Corinthians 14 does help provide us a little more context here to what's going on. Now, before we look at uh, 1 Corinthians 14... Let me just back up and let me just say this. The church of Corinth was a disaster, a disaster. Uh, it had been started in a port town uh, there, and Paul started the church, and uh, he got them up and going, a bunch of brand-new Christians, and Paul went down the road to start another church, and, boy, just about everything that could go wrong with a body of believers went wrong with Corinth. They had fornication going on in their church. They, were, uh, they had turned the Lord's Supper into a big party uh, they had gotten their roles mixed up in church, and the church, uh, the men took a back seat and were letting the women run everything, and uh, just everything was turned upside down and backwards every which uh, way possible. And Paul takes, and uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is six, six rebukes to the church. And each one of these rebukes, he both addresses the problem and then teaches them how it ought to be. Well, the church of Corinth did not receive this letter well. In fact, it drove a wedge between Paul and the church of Corinth, and there would be a second letter that would be written to the church of Corinth from Paul, which we do not have in our Bibles, and then there would be the third letter written by Paul to the church of Corinth, which is our book of Second Corinthians, and that was a book of reconciliation. Well, one of those theses that Paul writes that is a correction to the church of Corinth is on this idea of spiritual gifts. You see, they had gotten the spiritual gifts all mixed up, and so he takes several chapters and lays out what they are and the spirit in which they are to be used. Chapter 13 is known as the charity chapter or the love chapter, and uh, it's a very popular chapter in the Bible. And all chapter 13 is, is Paul saying the purpose of gifts, or rather the motive behind your gifts, is to be love. And you see, a good quote for chapter 13 is, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. And Paul says if you really love the Lord and you really love his church, you are going to give of the gifts that you have. But plenty of people take their gifts and they use them for purposes that are not necessarily loving. And so here we see that Paul is addressing this idea of tongue speaking with the church of Corinth. Now, uh, the church of Corinth had fallen in love with tongue speaking. And they were doing it just about every church service, and there was no order to it. And so after Paul lays out charity, he goes into chapter 14, and he starts to handle and tackle this concept of speaking in tongues. All right, look at verse number 2 of 1 Corinthians 14. The Bible says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth them, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh 
mysteries. Paul says when someone stands up and speaks in an unknown tongue, they are speaking mysteries. Verse 3, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification. And that word prophesieth there means to preach. He that preacheth, preacheth truth, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, look here, edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth or preacheth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. All right. I believe many good people are sitting in churches across the world and are being taught incorrectly about this doctrine of speaking in tongues. And this evening I'd like to shed some light from the Bible so that we can all understand just a little bit better. Let's look at three thoughts this evening about this topic of speaking in biblical tongues, the doctrine of speaking in tongues. Point number one, uh, write this down. Number one, the preface of tongues in the Bible. The preface of tongues in the Bible. Go back with me to Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two and look at verse number one. Let's get the the context. Context context is always important. Not only context of the passage that we're reading, but historical context as well. Let me just again reiterate that a lot of false doctrines are built off of a verse that is out of context. A verse that is out of context. And there are two ways that we provide context to every passage. First of all, you must put a verse within the context of the rest of the passage. A lot of churches, a lot of religions will take one verse in the middle of a chapter and read it and then create a whole religion that's built on top of one verse out of context within that passage. The other uh, way we provide context is not just passage context. Watch this. Historical context. Historical context. I'll give you an example of this one here. Uh, In the book of Jeremiah, I believe it is, somewhere in the Old Testament, there is a verse that talks about not taking a tree and decorating it uh, because that is pagan worship. How many of you are familiar with this passage in the Old Testament? Do you know that that passage is not talking about the American Christmas tree? It's not. The American Christmas tree had not been invented. It wasn't around. You must have historical context to understand that that tree uh, had directly to do with pagan worship. The Christmas tree was invented by a Christian uh, uh, for the purpose of honoring the Lord. And so has nothing to do with that. Historical context keeps us from false doctrine. So we need context of the passage and we need historical context. All right, look at verse number one and let's seek to provide both this evening. Verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where, uh, where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, as it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Uh, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So let's get some 
preface. Rather, let's get some context here. Immediately after Jesus ascended into heaven, as we saw in Acts 1, 120 of his followers gathered into a room, shut the door, and prayed in unison until God came down and filled them with his power. Turn back over to John chapter 14 and verse number 26. John 14 and verse 26. Jesus promised right before he ascended to heaven, that he would send the comforter to dwell with them. Now, that word comforter in the Greek is the word paraclete. Paraclete, it's where we get our idea of a, 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 an attorney, a, a paralegal, a paralegal or an attorney. This is a mediator. This is a go-between a person and a judge. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit would be our paraclete, our Comforter, and that he would send him down once he had ascended to heaven. Look at John 14, verse 26. Here Jesus is saying, uh, speaking. He says, But the Comforter, and to make sure there was no question about who this is, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send. Notice the future tense. Jesus is on the earth. Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now what's that mean? I stand up here and preach the Bible but you better make sure that the Holy Spirit is putting a giant check mark in your heart next to everything that comes out of my mouth, everything that I preach from the Bible. If the Holy Spirit doesn't endorse it, then you shouldn't believe it. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches you all things, not Pastor Lejeune. Look back there at, uh, at the verse, John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send to my name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance. That's how the disciples knew what to write down about the stories of Jesus. The Holy Ghost told them. Uh, Whatsoever I have said unto you, here Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to send the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, to comfort them and to help them. Now watch this. There was a time where people believed in Jesus and were not filled with the Holy Ghost. That was while Jesus was walking the earth. And now... We have, Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us the moment we got saved. So, naturally, if there is a time where they didn't have the Holy Ghost, and now at salvation we get the Holy Ghost, somewhere in the middle, there had to be a time for saved people to have the Holy Ghost come down and enter them. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through six, when the cloven tongues of fire appeared on their head in Acts two, that was God's way of saying to the Christians of the early church, "You have now received the Holy Ghost. Go out and preach my gospel." So, who were the first people to speak in tongues? The disciples of Jesus in the upper room. The disciples of Jesus who were in the upper room. By the way. Those who trusted in the cross for their salvation before the ascension of Christ into heaven did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. This is a gift that God has given to all of the Christians since the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. This is a verse that's very familiar. In fact, I've used this verse several times in sermons recently, but I'm going to, we're going to look at this verse in a little bit different light tonight, and I'm going to try to help lay out for you the uh, uh, history 
timeline, if you will. Here we have Jesus walking the earth. The Holy Spirit does not indwell the believer, all right? Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples are sent to the upper room where they pray and pray and pray and they get their hearts right with each other and they pray and they pray and they pray. And when the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then now we get to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written after that upper room experience, now believers are in a different place. Look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Now remember, the church of Corinth is a wicked place. And here in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking to them about fornication. Look at verse number 19. He says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Now again, 1 Corinthians 6 was written after the upper room. And so now these believers are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, but they did not, most of them did not have some supernatural experience like a cloven tongue of fire appearing upon their head. Go back with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Look here, and this is a very important part of the message. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews. All right, let me pause there. The Jewish nation or the Jewish people had been spread all over the world, just like they are now, all over the world, all right? When the, the, the Assyrians carried away the ten northern tribes, they never reassembled. And then Babylon carried away the two southern tribes. And they would uh, somewhat reassemble, that's uh, where Jesus would, would be, but the Jews would get spread out all over the world but maintain uh, their Jewishness, but learn other languages. All right, that's important to understand here. Look back at uh, look back at verse five, and there were uh, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men. Look here, out of every nation under heaven, out of every nation under heaven. So every civilized nation in the world, there were Jews that represented that country present in Jerusalem at that time. For the Feast of, Feast of Pentecost. Look at verse 6. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded and were confused because that every man, every man heard them speak in his own language. Now I want you to notice here, this is important, where the miracle took place. The disciples of Christ spoke in their own language and somehow, some way, every man from every other country represented there heard the sermon in their own tongue. You know what? Um, who did the miracle that day? Did Peter stand up and speak in some heavenly gibberish? No. Peter stood up and preached in his natural tongue. And people all around within listening range, God changed the sound waves in the air. And when that hit that person's ears, it had been translated into the language they understood. Now that's tongue speaking. That's tongue speaking, folks. That's a miracle. For a while here, before I was the pastor, we had a setup where Andres Barrios would sit here on the front row. Some of you might remember this. And uh, folks would wear a headset. And he would translate Pastor Peslak's sermon into Spanish. 
and people wearing the headset would hear Andres' voice translating the sermon into Spanish. You know what we had going on at White Oak Baptist Church? We had tongue speaking going on, seriously, at White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we have a lady visiting our church right now named Angela. Not my wife. It's another lady named Angela who comes on the bus. And she does not speak English. And so she sits right by my wife during the service. And my wife translates into her ear in Spanish what I'm preaching. You know what that is? That's tongue speaking. Right here, right now, Miss Kelly sitting next to her husband. Miss Kelly is still learning English. They're brand new here to the States. And Brother John speaks English. And while I've been preaching this sermon right here, Brother John is interpreting, speaking in tongues in our church to Miss Kelly so she can understand the message. You know why? Because if Miss Angela, who's here in the morning, and Miss Kelly, who's here in the evening, doesn't have someone to interpret them, then I'm doing nothing more than speaking gibberish. They need someone to speak in tongues. To them, I'm, rather to them, I'm speaking in tongues. They need someone to translate so that it will all make sense. Now, the difference here in Acts 2 is that God was not in the flesh sitting down next to those people whispering in their ears. No, he turned the words of Peter and the other disciples in the air, and when it hit their ear, it was already translated. And because they didn't see God, they thought, this is crazy. I mean, can you imagine if we had people in here from 20 different countries who spoke 20 different languages, and I stood up here and preached without any technology, and all of them understood me in their own languages? Can you, can you imagine the, the weird feeling there'd be in the room? And man, people began to speculate and say, these guys must be drunk. I mean, how is this happening? And Peter stood up and said, this was prophesied in the Old Testament that this would happen, and here it is happening. God translated the words. God did something great. God should always receive the credit when people come to the cross for salvation. Now, this is the first, and watch this, one of the only occasions recorded in the Bible where tongues was used and spoken of in a positive manner. Notice closely, go back to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 4. Notice closely where Paul said to the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, he said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Matthew, I need your help, if you don't mind. Okay, I need you to run this microphone over to Brother Larry, and then I need you to run it after Brother Larry's done over to Brother Jake. All right, can you do that for me? All right, I've asked Brother Larry here. He's married to a Vietnamese woman, and he's learned some Vietnamese. I've asked him if he would stand up for me, Brother Larry, and speak in tongues for us. Go ahead. All right. Okay, thank you very much. Anybody here understand that? All right, Brother, Brother Okai, run that, the green mic. Run that over to uh, Brother Okai, if you would. Brother Okai, if you would. All right. Who understood that in here? You know what? I didn't understand, but I know what they said because I told them what to say, and, but in their own language. You know what? No one in here, thank you, no one in here was edified by that. No one in here was edified that except for Larry, by that except for Larry and Jake because they got attention. You see that? When someone stands up in a church service and starts speaking in a language whether it's gibberish or an actual language, that nobody else speaks, 
they get the glory, not God. You see why that's a problem? Brother John, come on up here with me if you would. All right? Now, let's suppose... Brother John, come on up here. Take this mic for me. Let's suppose that I didn't speak English and I was invited to be the preacher. All right? And, um, and I, all, I, all I spoke was Spanish. And I was going to preach to you all. And I got up here. Don't, don't start yet. Or in a minute, I'm going to have you interpret. I got up here. Y yo empecé predicando todo en español. Ustedes no entendieron nada. Y yo predicando la palabra de Dios, la Biblia dice. You guys would sit there and go, Wow. He's animated. He's excited. That didn't make any sense. Now, I want you to in, in, uh, translate for me. Could you do that? I'm going to preach in Spanish. Could you translate it over to English for me? And I won't do great, but you just do the best, okay? And I'll hold that mic up close, all right? Um, estamos muy agradecidos a, a, a reunir con ustedes hoy. I'm, I'm thankful because I'm here with you today. Y quiero predicar un mensaje uh, sobre las lenguas. I want, I want to preach. I want to give you a message about tongues. Y espero que ustedes entiendan todo mi mensaje. And I hope you understand everything I have to say. All right. Thank you, Brother John. You see how tongues are supposed to work? If someone speaks in tongues, there needs to be a reason for it. There needs to be a reason for it. And there needs to be an interpreter so that everyone else can understand. And it needs not to be done to draw attention to someone else. Now, uh, that's what he's making very, very, very clear. Now, look back in 1 Corinthians 14 with me. And what you find, what you find is that Paul is very clear what he prefers. Look at verse 5. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater, greater, greater is he that prophesieth or preacheth than he that speaketh with tongues. This church had become so excited about tongue speaking that they had lost the art of preaching. They were just getting together and having a big tongue speaking fest and no one was getting anything out of it. Number one, we see the, the preface. Number two, notice the purpose. The purpose of tongues in the Bible. Notice with me back in Acts 2 and verse 41 and 42. All right, go back there. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. The Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continually steadfast in the apostles, uh, rather, and they uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. What was the end result of the disciples speaking in tongues? 3,000 people got saved. Hallelujah. 3,000 people represented from all around the globe got saved. And then these people took the gospel message back home with them to their countries. Wow! Now, what is the purpose of tongues? It is clear from Acts 2 that God used the gift of tongues to see people turn from their sin 
and choose Jesus. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, especially those who have a leaning toward tongue speaking, all right? I don't mean this in any kind of unkind way, but I want to just share with you a general observation from many of the tongue speaking churches I've been familiar with. In almost every tongue speaking church, you run into one major problem. At the end of the service, a lot of attention has been placed on the person speaking in tongues, but no one, in most cases, no one has trusted Christ for salvation as a result of the tongue speaking. That's a problem. Now, maybe someone gets saved, but is it directly because someone stood up and spoke in tongues? How many of you here have uh, never been to a tongue-speaking church? Would you hold up your hand if you've never been to a tongue-speaking church? I have. Uh, once I was curious and I wasn't obligated somewhere, so I went and attended a tongue-speaking church. And just to say that I had done it and been a part of it. And, you know, I want, so I want to sort of, if I could, in some way replicate uh, what that would look like, all right? And there are some tongue-speaking churches that are far more raucous and out of order than others. But in some cases, in, in some tongue-speaking churches, you'd be right in the middle of announcements and Brother Akai would stand up and just start spouting off in that language. And then he'd finish and sit down. Pastor Mike would stand up over here and start speaking in gibberish. And then Reggie would sit up over here and say, I have an interpretation. And just occasionally throughout the service, it just gets interrupted like that. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 about that? He said, to the outside world, you all look like you're a bunch of crazies. You look like you're a bunch of nuts. And that edifies the people who are standing up and blurting out. But it sure doesn't edify the Lord. Sure doesn't edify the Lord. Notice that Peter did not say to speak in tongues. Here's the other problem with tongue-speaking churches. They'll say that you have to speak in tongues to get saved. But notice in Acts chapter 2, Peter did not say speak in tongues for the remission of sins. He said repent for the remission of sins. Repent. Repent. Peter and the other disciples... Uh, were given by God uh, for uh, this gift, for this one special day, the gift of tongues. However, their tongues followed a great truth that is often ignored in the average tongue-speaking church of our time. If you have 1 Corinthians 14, look with me at verse number 40. Look with me at verse number 40. Everybody find it there? The Bible says, Let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. You know, the honest truth is God loves when we, when we have order to everything we do. There should be order to our home. There should be order to our personal lives. 
our finances. There should be order in the way we do our work. There should be order in the way we conduct the church service. I hold in my hand right here something that gets printed every single Sunday and Wednesday at our church. You all know what this is? This is an order of service. And uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I select the songs that we sing here in church. When we have a music pastor, that music pastor does that. And I send them to Brother Joe. When Brother Joe fires them off to Brother Scarpetti, who's going to lead the singing. And Miss Rachel gets an email. And Miss Bernice gets an email. And, any, and Miss Sochi, uh, who plays at 11, gets an email. And when they come into the church service on Sunday, there is a plan in place. There's order. You know why? Because God is a God of order. In a lot of tongue-speaking churches, there's very little order in the way that, that, in the way that works. When people stand and randomly speak that does a language, a language that does not exist or a language that cannot be understood by everyone else in the room, what is happening? They are, number one, whether they mean to or not, they are gathering attention to themselves instead of pointing the attention to God. And number two, they are doing something that disrupts the order of the church service. Now, if I were to give you a bag of a million dollars, how many of you would uh, turn that down? Anybody here turn down a bag of a million dollars? All right, Brother Joe, I'll keep yours then, all right? If I were to give you a bag of a million dollars, how many of you here would dump the money out on the table and then walk over and leave the money and lay the bag out, stretch it out and say, wow. Look at this bag. This bag is amazing. While the money sits over here, you know, you got all these wads or, or stacks of $100 bills and $20 bills, and they're piled up and they're falling off the table, and you're ignoring that. People are running over and picking that up, and look at the bag. You would not be enamored with the bag that carried the money. You'd be enamored with the money. Who cares about the bag? The bag is nothing more than a, an instrument to transport the money. We all okay this evening? Now watch this. The tongues were not, the tongue speaking was nothing more than the bag that carried the gospel message to the ears of the people. And the point in Acts chapter 2 is not that they spake in tongues. The point in Acts chapter 2 is that God used the tongues for 3,000 people to get saved. And here we are all these years later, and we have churches that want to make a big deal out of the tongues while people in their community die and go to hell. Why are we worshiping the bag? Why are we making a big, big deal out of the bag? We ought to make a big deal out of the gospel. Out of people getting saved. Get down to the end of the passage and the glory is not placed on tongue speaking. The glory is placed on 3,000 people. That's a lot of people. 3,000 people got saved. The purpose of tongue speaking is that the gospel can go forth. And when the gospel goes forth because of tongue speaking, then folks are saved and the purpose of the gift is accomplished. All right, number three, lastly, notice. Notice the passing use of tongues in the Bible. The passing use of tongues in the Bible. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn over there with me if you would. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8. It says there, Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Now let me just pause right there. What does that part mean? If prophecies means preaching, do you know that there will be a day where we won't need to hear a man ever preach another sermon? Because it will be made perfect in Jesus and Jesus himself will teach us. There will be a day where prophecies will no longer be needed. They shall fail. Look here. Whether there be tongues, tongue speaking, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, that's extra knowledge, it shall vanish away. The Bible tells us there will be a time where the gift of tongues will no longer be used. I don't care what you believe about tongues. 1 Corinthians 13.8 very clearly says there will be a point where tongues shall cease. It says it plain and clear in the Bible. Now, there is room for debate as to when tongues will cease, but it is clear that at some point that it will. I fully believe that God used the gift of tongues in order to help the church begin. Imagine if only those... Now, remember, that day at Pentecost, you had all those people from all those countries gathered together in one place, and as Peter began to preach, uh, everyone began to understand their own language, and a huge crowd gathered as because it was a spectacle. And as a result of that crowd gathering and the gospel being preached, 3,000 people got saved and baptized. Now, I'm sure more than 3,000 got saved, but 3,000 of those that got saved also got baptized. Now, um, I imagine uh, that that was quite something, but why did God give them that power? Because very early on, he was trying to establish the church all over the world. Those people that got saved went forth and made a big deal of it. Now, has the time come? And I would ask this question. I think this is really the, the question. Has the time come where tongues have failed? Tongue speaking has failed. And to that, I would just answer this way. I'm not 100% sure. And here's why I say that. A friend of mine who's a pastor, very, very reputable man, he, he tells this story, and, and I believe him. I genuinely believe him. He says that a family in his church had a lady who lived in France, a French woman who came and visited the States and was staying with them. This woman spoke no English, no English. This woman came to church with um, her family and sat down in the pew and did not understand any of the opening of the service, did not understand uh, any of the announcement time. But once the pastor got up and started to preach, he preached a salvation sermon. And magically, that woman understood the entire message as though he was preaching in French. He was preaching in English, but she was hearing everything he said in French. He preached the gospel, and she understood every word that came out of his mouth. He got down to the end of the service. He had every head bowed and he had every eye closed. And he said, if you uh, would like to accept Christ as your Savior, I'd like to invite you to the front so someone can help you to make that decision. It was a big day. It was a, like a friend day type atmosphere. And the gospel had been preached and a lot of people were coming forward to get saved. This lady got up and came down to the front. She didn't really know what was going on. And she sat down with another woman in the church. And the lady speaking to her in English took her English Bible and gave her the gospel. And again, the French woman says, I understand everything that was said to me by that soul winner, by that person. 
At the very end of that gospel presentation, the lady led her through a prayer, phrase-by-phrase prayer. The lady gave the words in English. The lady repeated the words back in French. At the conclusion of the prayer, when the lady got saved, she kept trying, the English-speaking lady kept trying to talk to her, and the lady ceased to understand anything that was said. The moment she got saved, the tongue-speaking stopped. It stopped. And the pastor says, I know some of you think I'm crazy for even telling that story, but I, I, I will go to the grave telling you that happened in my church. I watched it with my own two eyes. And I believe him. I believe him. But notice that the tongue-speaking done in that church was not standing up and blurting out in some language that no one understood. Tongue-speaking was done just like it was in Acts 2. Peter stood up and preached in his tongue, and God translated in the ear of the person that listened. Turn over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Let's finish the sermon there. I just again want to reiterate, it is not about the bag that contains the money. It's about the money. It's not about the method used to communicate the message of salvation. It is, however, about the gift of salvation. That's what we make a big deal out of. We make a big deal out of salvation. Look at Ephesians 4.14. The Bible says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Oftentimes, oftentimes, people who mean well, and sometimes apostates who are doing it on purpose, um, oftentimes charismatic, tongue-speaking churches are driven by emotion, by emotion. Their emotion leads truth, and it should be truth leading emotion. And I believe these people mean well. Let me just also say right here, I do believe that there, we get, we're going to get to heaven and find a lot of Pentecostals that are in heaven. I believe that. And they, a lot of Pentecostal churches preach the gospel just like we do. I've known plenty of people who've gotten saved in Pentecostal churches. And the tongue-speaking thing, I, Pastor Mike, I believe you, got, uh, you, you went to a, a Pentecostal church right after you got saved, right? For four years? Yeah, and the gospel was preached pretty clear there, if I remember right from what you said. And Miss Christine, I believe you grew up going to a Pentecostal church, and the gospel was given clear there. There's a lot of people who come from that background. The gospel is preached clear, but boy, we must be careful not to be deceived or led astray by a false doctrine that just isn't in the Bible. And when a church builds their whole structure on one particular topic, boy, that's really where we need to be careful. Instead of being tossed around by the wind of emotionalism, let's stand firm on what the Bible teaches and let's become good students of the Word of God. I hope that helps you tonight on this idea of tongues speaking and I hope it's been a help to you. Let's stand together and we'll have a word of prayer and if the Lord's worked in your heart in any way, we'll open the altar for an invitation as we normally do. This is more of a Bible study than a sermon that brings you to a point of decision, but maybe some of you have been secretly speaking in tongues at home and you need to come and get your heart right. But no, as the altar is open, we'll encourage you to come and pray about whatever it is the Lord has laid on your heart. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us. Help us, Lord, to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand it, 
And Lord, if this is a, a subject where people have been confused or not quite understood, Lord, I pray it provided clarity for them. And then, Lord, for others of us here who did not know what to think on the topic, God, that you'd give us clarity on the topic. Lord, you're a good God. You're a great God. And we're thankful that you sent the Holy Spirit down in such an impactful and powerful way there in Acts chapter 2, and you used the disciples to do a great work. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be spirit-led and spirit-filled as we proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.